Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. A special time of, uh, of, of the year. Merry Christmas to all you joining us online. Good to be with you guys as, as well. So it struck me this week, this is the 21st Christmas that Julie and I have shared with you all. And uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, it is a tremendous privilege for us to be a part of uh, this church family. And you guys bring us all kinds of joy. Now, most likely a year from now, there'll be somebody else in this role. So I'm encouraging you to continue to pray for whoever that person is and uh, be praying for our discernment team where we sit is in a good place. And the future is bright and optimistic and we look forward to what God's going to do in and through us in the, in the days ahead. So thanks for the giving of your time, your energy, your money to the glory of God and to the joy that's found uh, in Jesus. Thank you very much for participating in this joy-filled community. Very cool. Now, I'm going to show you a short video clip. It has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas and absolutely nothing to do with what I'll be sharing with you today. It was sent to me by my daughter, Casey, uh, my middle daughter, and she once in a while watches my sermons. Well, she was watching with my youngest grandchild, Eden, who is just short of three years old. In 16 days, she'll be, she'll be three. So my granddaughter, Eden, as she's watching this, this old sermon of mine, uh, she had a question. And uh, here it is. Why Papa do it hard? What did Papa do? Do this. Why did he do that? I don't know. You want me to ask him? Yeah. <laughs> no one, including me, has any idea why I, I, I do that. So it's about 26, 27 years ago, Lisa, who was our pastor of worship up in Seattle, where I was before I moved here, we were planning some Christmas stuff, and, and she asked me, so why are you so angry at Christmas? And I didn't even realize I was. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I grew up missing the real joy of Christmas. You know, it still seems to me this, this conglomeration, amalgamation of the secular, right, the commercial, and the Christian. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I got the commercial part of it, right? I got the carnal part of it. I love gifts, I love presents, but I missed the spiritual. At about 23, 24, I finally got God's love. And I'm going to tell you, it was completely different. I could have told you the story. I knew Luke 2. I knew Matthew 1. 
But it had never penetrated my heart, the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and the depth of God's love, the Father's love in motivating Jesus to come, the depth of Jesus' love and his willingness to come. It didn't hit me until I was about 24 years old. Well, then I got frustrated and I didn't even realize how frustrated I was with this amalgamation. And it seemed to me the mixing the secular and the commercial with the spiritual diminished the impact of what this holiday is. Now here's the reality, until she said that, and I've had three or four times in my life which people have spoken to me, and it might as well have been Jesus himself. When the truth of what they said helped me see things about myself that I didn't see. Now I still think there's a risk out there in how we've combined the secular, the commercial, and the spiritual, I still think there's a great risk in potentially diminishing the meaning of this. But once she said that to me, I saw the opportunity. There's a risk in this, but people are nicer. People are more warm. The risk still exists that this, that this amalgamation can diminish our experience of what this really is in Christ, but this is a great opportunity to talk about Jesus' love and his grace and the true meaning. So for 26, 27 years, I have not been angry at all at Christmas because of the beauty of who Jesus is and the opportunity of this season to stop, to contemplate, to ponder and share with others the depth of God's love in sending Jesus into the world. So we're gonna talk this morning. We've talked about more than we expected. Last week, Keith talked about more than a story. Today, we're gonna talk about more than a humble beginning. But let's not miss it. God in his designing the entrance of a son into the world went to great lengths to make it a very, very humble start. His first advent. Advent simply means coming, arrival, beginning. Now it's used almost never in our vocabulary except at Christmas but it just means the start of. So Jesus' first advent, it was an ordinary start. His parents were nobodies. We're talking about the Messiah leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth. And his parents were folks that if they lived next door to us, we might know who they are, but they would not be noteworthy in the least. Had a common start to this thing. Has always fascinated me that God in his sovereign being omniscient, that means he's really stinking smart. He began this in a way that the mother of the Messiah was perceived, I guarantee you, by everybody to have cheated on Joseph. So what Joseph assumed 
It's what any reasonable person would have assumed. Until the angel came to Joseph. Can you imagine what it was like? This is the stuff, there's so much in there that I'd love to have. I'd love to have an account of Mary talking to Joseph. This man she loves, she's going to spend the rest of her life with. By the way, sweetheart, I'm pregnant. You think she explained it was through the Holy Spirit? Let me assure you, she did. Joseph, like any other reasonable person, assumed she had cheated on him. I wonder what it was like for Mary to tell her parents. The Messiah enters the world, and everybody presumes he got there because Mary cheated on Joseph. Walked to the birthplace. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, we have four kids, three of whom my wife gave birth to. Mary's about ready to give birth, and she rocks with Joseph relatively 90 miles. It takes about four days. We had an uncomfortable drive to the hospital. No room in the inn. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and they laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, it's often assumed he was born in a barn. In fact, in my first church, trying to convey, I lived in rural Iowa, I put together a service that became the most popular service we did on Christmas Day in Iowa when it was stinking cold. I had Kenny Nelson clean out a part of his barn, and we had Mary and Joseph ride in. This service exploded. We had people and the humility of it. Can't get that sense in this room. Now, was he born in a barn? I think very unlikely. Some want to argue a cave. I think very unlikely. I think most likely, because we don't have any of those details. He just was no room in the inn, and he was laid in a manger. That's all we're told. They had houses back then. The, the lowest level was for animals. The second level was where people lived. Likely, they went to the hotel, and the second level was full. God himself coming to earth and being born. They didn't even have room at the hotel. Now, you remember God's sovereign. You guys remember that, right? It all happened just as he had planned. 
In a typical birth, I mentioned Julie and I have four kids. The youngest one is adopted. If it were up to me to have kids, we would have one. I've been there for three. Away in a manger, the cattle are lowing, no crying he makes. Again, I think we get a lot of our theology of the Christmas story from songs. I'm pretty sure he cried. I've been there for three births. So why? Why such a humble beginning? Why such a humble start? Because God wanted to know, everyone to know, this Messiah was for absolutely everybody. There was no one beneath his grace. No one, no matter how they'd lived, could be outside of his love. This Jesus who was born came for everyone. In God's design, pretty obscure, almost anonymous beginning. In the most typical and ordinary of circumstances, because this baby is for everyone. Now, in this account, because of who he is, though, we also get a glimpse of his glory. If you've read the story, you know Mary hadn't cheated on Joseph. The angel made it clear to Joseph. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? How am I going to have a baby since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Who knew about that? Mary. Who'd she tell? Joseph and I think everybody else that she knew. How many believed her? I don't think many. The angel to the shepherds. Again, ordinary guys. On the socioeconomic status, these guys were near the bottom. When you were a child growing up around there, you didn't go, oh, one day I aspire to be a shepherd. That's an honorable occupation. But even this glimpse of glory, who's it given to? Ordinary folks. Because this Jesus is for everybody. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord showed around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Here's the message of Christmas. Now, I hope you get under the tree. Santa brings you everything you want. I hope you eat more than you should, and it tastes delicious. 
I'm going to be at my daughter's. She's making a tradition for us, these meatballs with sauerkraut and barbecue sauce. It's going to be terrific. But here's the essence of the holiday. And if you're here and you live sometimes tempted to be angry at this amalgamation, stop it. You're here today, you're missing it. I'm hoping you'll get more of the truth because there it is. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger to ordinary folks. The angel frightens them. Now they're told, don't be afraid. So then we bring in the angel choir. Who gets to experience this? Shepherds. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The first evangelists weren't pastors. They weren't seminary professors. They weren't the religious leaders. The first evangelists, shepherds. God loves to meet all of us where we are and use us wherever we are. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then this baby grew up and he lived an astonishing life. His teaching. Every year at Passover, they went to Jerusalem. You remember when he's about 12? Mom and dad, again, I'm trying to imagine how you take off and don't realize your son is not with you. So any of you who have forgotten your kids, the mother of the Messiah forgot her son, just to make you feel a little better. But at 12, he's already demonstrating he's just not like every other boy. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. A text I read two weeks ago, when he's an adult now doing his ministry, he's in the synagogue in, in, in Nazareth, and he pulls out the scroll for Isaiah, and he, he reads about these prophecies about the Messiah bringing healing, salvation. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eye of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. 
They'd never heard anyone talk this thoughtfully, this deeply. Is not this Joseph's son? Remember his mother? Yeah. And then he did some miracles. First recorded one, turned water into wine. Now, I still remember in the heritage I grew up where you didn't ever touch alcohol, reading that as about a ninth grader and going, what? No, I wasn't that interested in spiritual things, so I didn't think about it until I was probably about 28. I just went on with, uh, with life. He walked on the water. He calmed the seas. He fed over 5,000 with a little fish and a little bread. There were folks that couldn't see, and he healed them. There were folks that couldn't walk, and he healed them. He raised three people from the dead. They were dead. Dead. And he made them alive. We get glimpses of his glory. And his love. God, the Father's up there with Jesus. And, you know, we love these people, son, but they are a stinking mess. Son, you know how much I love you. You know how much I love you. And I hope you understand how much it pains me to ask you to go become one of them. I imagine Jesus saying to the Father, I get it, Dad. I know how much you love me, and I know how much you love them. I, too, love them. So I'm happy to go down there and become one of them. That we might give those folks down there in a world of hurt because they think life revolves around them and they think they got way more to do with all this stuff than they actually do. I'm happy to go down there to give them a picture of who we are. Read any of the Gospels. It's just about his love. So many interactions that I love that Jesus had. My favorite might be the woman at the well. You know, Jesus interacted with women in that day and age. They were a little less than second-class citizens in a way that you just weren't supposed to. So they're out there at this well. It's just the two of them. First of all, uh, uh, you, you just didn't talk to a woman. Jesus never felt the limits that oftentimes culture put on him or attempted to put on him. First strike, she's a woman. 
Second strike, she's a Samaritan. Ethnically, she wasn't pure. Third, she'd been sleeping around. What she used to say to her? If you had a clearer idea who I am, I'd give you living water. And you would never, ever be thirsty again. He left the glory of heaven. He humbly came in this world to give us a more full and complete picture of the eternal love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have for us. And he ended up completing what he came as a baby to do. He ended up going to the cross for us. Because he loves us. The baby loves us. Started humbly so that no one, no matter where they've been in their life, no matter the choices they've made, would never feel outside the breath of his loving arms. It's a holiday worth celebrating. It's a time to be happy and joyful. I think it's a great time to think about his humble beginning. I also think it's a great time to think about the spectacular new beginning that's ahead with his second advent. I love thinking about Jesus' first advent. But since I was about 24, I can't think about his first advent without also thinking about his second. And the marked contrast between his first advent and his second. His first, he comes in relative anonymity. Not his second one. That is going to be spectacular. There's going to be a glorious return. Now, Jesus tells us nobody knows. But concerning the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. So because no one knows, we should keep watching. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day of the hour. I already read that, didn't I? Did I read that already? See, I get confused and it's still the first service. That's a sign of aging. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Almost nobody. Joseph and Mary and a few shepherds. This one 
everybody's going to see it. For the lightning, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There are going to be lots of people mourning because it's not going to be a great day for them. John in Revelation, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. There's a day coming when he descends, every eye is gonna be on him and there will not be one person that will wonder who's that. He's in the synagogue reading Isaiah. Hey, I'm telling you, this is fulfilled. And they're going, yeah, aren't you Joseph's son? The next time Jesus comes back, everybody, everybody, everybody's going to go, oh, my. There he is. It will be spectacular. I know the Super Bowl is big. I know the Indy 500 is big. I know the Academy Awards are big. I know presidential elections are big. None of what we've experienced thus far in life will come anywhere close to what we're going to experience on that day. <sighs> Jesus is going to bring justice to everyone and everything. Have you guys noticed there's sin in the world? Child abuse. I mean, what Hamas did. I'm just going to stop there. You ever just get discouraged reading the news? I read a little bit every day, and most days I just have to stop. There's so much good. We got Jesus here. But this world is a mess and it's been a mess since Adam and Eve. Are we any worse? I don't know. Technology just makes us far more aware. But when Jesus comes back, everything is going to be set right. Every sin, big and small, will be accounted for. Everyone. For those of us who treasure Christ, ours is accounted for in his death. For those who don't, everything they've got coming, they will receive. 
the justice that didn't get executed by us will be executed. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you with the foundation of the world. When everything gets set right, where there's a new heaven and a new earth and I get a new body. So do you. It's going to be glorious for those of us who trust Christ. It will be the best day we, those of us who treasure Christ, have ever experienced. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Because Jesus will be completing salvation for us. We enjoy his kingdom. We enjoy eternal life right now with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with Christ. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He already dealt with that. That's done. He's not dealing with it a second time. But to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him, I love thinking about the first advent, God's love. I didn't get it till I was 24 and then I got it. Then in my immaturity, I was more concerned with how that message was diluted than with the opportunity we have. I just needed to grow up. I needed somebody to ask me, why are you so angry? It's a great time to think about the first advent, and it's a great time to ponder the second advent. Cyril, he was a, um, he was a bishop in Jerusalem in the 300s. I just will tell you, if you read old dead guys, it feels like to me they were thinking more deeply about spiritual things than most of my peers, including me. We preach not one advent only of Christ, but a second also, far more glorious than the former. For the former gave a view of his patience, but the latter brings with it the crown of a divine kingdom. For all things, for the most part, are twofold in our Lord Jesus Christ. A twofold generation, one of God before the ages, and one of a virgin at the close of the ages. His descents, twofold. One, the unobserved, like rain on a fleece, and a second, his open coming, which is to be. In his former advent, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes in the manger. In his second, he covers himself with light as with a garment. In his first coming, he endured the cross, despising shame. In his second, he comes attended by a host of angels receiving glory. We rest not upon his first advent only, but look also for his second. 
And as at his first coming, we said, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So we will repeat the same at his second coming. That when the angels we meet, our master, we may worship him and say, blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. So it's Christmas time. What do I want you to do? I want you to have a fabulous Christmas. Eat too much, open presents, celebrate with your family and friends. Julie and I and Caden, we're headed to New Hampshire. It's about four years ago, I love y'all, but I finally decided we're gonna go see our grandkids on some of these holidays. And I'm gonna tell you, being with them in the morning when they're opening what Santa has brought them, Santa will be generous. I'm pretty convinced Julie and I are gonna be even a little more generous than Santa. I like to top him. <laughs> Go have fun. Celebrate the holiday. It's an opportunity to express love and enjoy relationships. Oh, yeah, that was supposed to be up there. I can't tell you how many times already this year, and every year I hear from my church family and friends how busy we are. We got all these parties and all these celebrations and all this stuff to go to. Don't let it crowd out the time to sit. And like Mary did on that first Advent, Ponder his birth. Open Luke 2, open Matthew 1. Delegate some time, maybe this week, 10 minutes a day. Just say, Lord, I know the story is familiar. Give me a deeper experience, will you please, of the depth of your love. Enjoy the holiday. Let's not let it crowd out, Jesus. And then thank Jesus, as you're thinking about him, for leaving the glory of heaven, humbling himself. I know babies are cute, mangers are cute. Next to going to the cross, the most humbling thing he did was become one of us. He became one of us so that we might live, that we might be connected, that we might be joined to him. <sighs> Praise him. I tell you, when your heart's engaged in this, it is a marvelous season. And don't forget the cookies. Oh, Lord, forgive me for what I've already eaten. And we're still a week away. And look forward to Jesus' second advent. As you're pondering his first advent and the significance and asking the Lord to deepen our appreciation experience of his love, Lord, may you give me a glimpse of how great that's going to be when your son returns. For those of us who love Christ,
<sighs> no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. I tell you, I try to imagine what that's going to be like living in this world filled with brokenness and hurt. I have trouble imagining it. It's going to be outstanding, spectacular. I want to say awesome, but I don't because that word gets so overused, it feels like to me it means almost nothing in today's culture. I watch a skateboarder do something, I go, oh, that was awesome. We don't know what awesome means. When Jesus comes back, I want you to remember this sermon. That's what awesome means. And then thank Jesus. In this world of brokenness and hurt and pain, in which he has called us to be instruments of grace, and peacemakers, and those who promote his love in a world that is hurting. Thank him for the hope we have in looking forward. Thank him for the confidence we have in a world filled with brokenness. Because we know God is at work right now, in and through us, and eventually, only the Father knows, it is going to be glorious because we got this Christmas spirit for the next week that hope from celebrating his first advent and looking forward to his second it's that hope and confidence that's going to take us into 2024 no matter what happens God is in us God is with us, God is using us, and one day, Jesus is coming back. Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for loving us. Oh, this story never, ever, I hope, gets old. Though for some of us, Father, we've been celebrating this for decades. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that the familiarity of this story would never dull our senses, dull our heads and our hearts. May the life, the freshness, and the vitality that come with your son's birth no matter where we are in our spiritual journey. May it strengthen us. May it embolden us. May it fill us with more joy and more love, no matter what circumstances we face. Wherever we are today, whatever challenges we're facing, Father, may Jesus' love fill us.